Good morning. Well, that was set for John York. When I went to a uh, preaching workshop at Livscombe back in February that John York mentioned uh, last Sunday, uh, you know, I had to preach before this professor of homiletics, which means the preaching instructor, and uh, Dr. Cleo LaRue, and he told me, uh, he said, uh, he, one of his critiques to me was, don't start in fifth gear. And uh, he goes, you got that big John the Baptist voice, you know, you got to work up to it. In fact, he gave me this, uh, he gave me this great quote. Uh, he says, uh, when it comes to preaching, he said, I need to start slowly, rise high, strike fire, and sit down in a storm. And uh, I like that. I like that. But he told me, he goes, uh, don't start in fifth gear. And I was thinking, I've only got 12 minutes. I've got to get a rolling start on this thing when I was there. But today I don't have that. And so uh, I'll, uh, with the exception of our, uh, our, our feedback, I will take it down a little bit. We're still adjusted for Mr. York, but they've got us taken care of in the back. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing our series in the, uh, in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're getting ready to pick up our pace a little bit because as uh, the end of the year approaches, uh, August, that kind of thing, and uh, I begin my uh, uh, Master's of Divinity degree, I'll be trying to incorporate a lot of that stuff into what I'm preaching and teaching, and so I need to cover a lot more in the book of Matthew, so we're going to pick up our pace uh, beginning uh, next Sunday, but today we're uh, we're we're in Matthew five thirteen through uh, through sixteen. Uh, next door in the the teen classroom, they have this really great poster, and it's very simple, and it just makes a strong point, and and that's it right there. Uh, and you know anybody that knows their Bible a, a little bit, anybody is familiar who is familiar with the sayings of. Of Jesus, you know, that doesn't need a, a whole lot of explanation. You know, you see a salt shaker, you see a light bulb, and, you know, it be salt and light. Now then, for those who, who don't know what is going on, you know, G, you're, you're like, what do you mean, Jesus wants me to be a salt shaker? Jesus wants me to be a light bulb? I don't understand that. But, and, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is that we are, 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 are salt and, and light. And so we're going to be looking at those verses in just a few minutes that come right on the heels of this section that we've spent the last eight or nine weeks looking at in the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. These, these becoming attitudes that, that, that helped us to, to draw into the presence of God and, uh, and become transformed into an, to His likeness and His character. And as soon as we get comfortable there in His presence, Jesus points us back down, back into humanity to be with people. And, you know, I, I think that, as we, as we talked about that four or five weeks ago, that when, you know, we want to approach God and we want to say, it's good for us to be here, let's just set up tabernacles and be in the presence of God, then Jesus pointed us back down the other side of the mountain because he knows we have to interact with people. And it was those last four Beatitudes that teach us how to interact with people. And it's as we get to these verses that we're going to look at today, this text we're going to look at today, it's this is how, this is number one, this is what you are. And because of what you are and who you are, this is how you will interact with people that, uh, that you come in contact with. 
You know, it's, it's no secret that our world is just kind of lost its mind. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no secret that things are just kind of running crazy. And I don't mean just in the United States. I mean, when you look at the world on a global stage, and it just seems that, that things are just sort of just running crazy, that chaos seems to reign in, in almost all places. And I think we can probably agree that, you know, as we look around and we look at culture, we can probably all agree that sin is just sort of running rampant in our world. And we see it. We see evil and sin manifest itself in, in different ways. Okay? You see the consequences of it all the time. We see it everywhere. And a lot of times what we have done, and when I say we, I'm speaking of, of us in a Christian context. And, and this message today is, is primarily for Christians. So if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, you, know, you can tune out for the next little bit because it doesn't exactly focus on you. But if you're a follower of Christ, this specifically speaks to you today. Okay? Because a lot of times what we do is, is you know, we look around at the world and we see what's out there. And we see the sin, we see how, how culture is, is getting a hold of our kids and giving them ideas and different things and kind of pulling them in directions that, 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 that we don't like or we don't agree with. And, and what happens is we react to that. And a lot of times our reaction is to create kind of a, a, a safe haven. You know, we create sort of our own subculture within the, the greater context of culture. And, you know, really what it is, is it's, it's a ghetto. Because that's what a, a ghetto is. It is a, it is a sub-culture. And so, in our efforts to sort of protect ourselves, you know, we've, we've created some, some things. And we've got some really good things. I mean, we've, we have created some, some great Christian schools. Okay, we have, uh, you know, and I, and I went to public school all through my life, but my, my professional training, my ministry training, has all been in, in Christian schools. And there's some great ones out there. You know, we've got some tremendous Christian music. How many of you listen to Christian radio this week? Okay, a lot of people did. You know, there are great, and everybody's got a, a great song that they love right now, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Toby Mac or, or, or whoever it might be. Um, there's just a lot of really good stuff that, that is out there that people listen to and they draw on, whether it's you know, David Crowder or, or somebody like that, or uh, what's, the, what's the girl that you like to listen to? Lauren Daigle, and she's got, you know, she's got some great songs and kind of sounds like Adele. And, you know, so it's, I mean, there's some really, really, there's some really, really good stuff out there. Uh, but we have our own music. We have our own entertainment. There are, are, are television stations that are just religious programming that are just Christian television channels. Okay, we have tremendous Christian authors, you know. I have uh, hundreds of books in my office, okay. Not just in my office, I have them all throughout my house. And, you know, and I've given you a bunch of those, okay. And yet I still have more. And it's like I said a couple of weeks ago about my Bibles. You know, if there's an earthquake, I'm going to be buried under Bibles and Christian authors, Okay, so look there first. You know, my family will probably be there too. Okay, but we've got some tremendous Christian authors. Okay, we even have our own sports leagues. Okay, church softball. Remember those days? Okay, and upwards basketball and upwards soccer. That's not a kind laughter, by the way. 
Uh, and remember, some of you were a part of that, okay? So I just want to, it's not just me, but it was fun at least. We weren't good, but it was fun. It's not, it was good fun. We weren't good, but it was fun. <laughs> okay, so we've got all of these great things. And, and I participate in those things, and I support all of those things. And those things are, are they're not bad. Now, there's, there's things about them that are not always great, especially in like the Christian music culture. There's some things about it that is not always great and not always on the up and up. But sometimes, sometimes I look around at all of these great Christian things that we have, and I have to ask myself, does our culture, or is our culture, are they taking us seriously? And what I want to suggest is that I think it is possible that we, and when I say we, I'm talking about Christendom, all of Christianity, I think it's, it's possible, especially American Christianity, that we have created a Christian subculture. A ghetto that the world doesn't necessarily pay that much attention to. And what I also want to suggest is that we need to reclaim our place in our culture. Not our subculture. We as the followers of Christ need to reclaim our place in culture. Okay? We need to leave the ghetto of Christian subculture. And we must use our influence. Because it is easy. Okay? It is easy to develop a bunker mentality, is it not? Okay? And just I'm just going to surround myself with nothing but, but Christian things. And so I'll have my kids will go to Christian school and we'll make sure we listen to nothing but Christian music and we'll watch Christian television and we'll read Christian books and you know we'll wear Christian clothes and that's all it'll be. And we'll just you know, we'll just go to church and Christian concerts and all that kind of thing, and we'll just, we'll, we'll, it'll just be great. Okay, and there's nothing wrong in and of those things. But I think if that's all, if that's the place where we're only spending our time, I think we're missing, we're missing the point of what Jesus is saying. I think also we're missing the point of the last four Beatitudes. Because those last four are designed for us to use as we interact with people who are not followers of Christ. Okay? We're not called, we're not called out of the world. But sometimes fear causes us to kind of bunker and hunker down. Okay? To surround ourselves with only these kinds of, of, of things. But I don't think this is how Jesus meant for us to live. Let's look, at, uh, let's look at our text this morning from Matthew 13. Uh, excuse me, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now then, you see the the text up there on, on the screen behind me, and it's those two specific phrases that I want us to just focus on for just a few minutes today. Jesus, after laying out the Beatitudes, He continues talking to His disciples, and He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Okay, The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were supposed to be those things. They were supposed to be leading God's people to be those things, but they had sort of failed in that task. And so Jesus is now turning to the, to the lay people, to people like you and like me, and He's saying, you, you people are the salt of the earth. You are, you are the light of the world. You see, and that's what he, he tells us that we are. We are salt. We are light. And it, he does not ever tell us to, to separate and to live and sort of wall ourselves off like, like, like hermits. Okay? He doesn't tell us to, to separate ourselves from a, a surrounding world. Because the world, and when I say world, I mean people, the world needs two of these things. The world needs salt and the world needs light. Yes? Salt and light, they have, they have a, a very, very important purpose. Salt, you know, one of the, the, the first things that salt does is it, man, it, it seasons things up. Who likes salt? What, what, like, like one person? Come on, give me a break. All right, I didn't ask who likes lying. Who likes salt? Come on, people. Everybody likes salt. Salt is good stuff. Now, some people like salt a little too much. Okay, and doctors tell you no salt or low salt or low sodium or whatever. Now then, salt is good. I mean, it adds that, it adds flavor, it adds zest. And so it can be said that when Jesus says you're the salt of the world, what he is saying is, look, the world, you know, the world's kind of tasteless. Okay, and you can look around and you say, yeah, some of that stuff's pretty tasteless. Okay, and so part of being a Christian is to add seasoning and to add flavor to the world okay and I also saw I read something I, I kind of silly I don't know if I, I haven't thought it all the way through but it said the, the, the salt makes people thirsty for Jesus eh, I, I don't know about that but what salt does and what I do know salt does is it does add seasoning and it does add flavor and so if Christians are the the salt of the earth then maybe one of the the meanings is that we are supposed to add seasoning to a to a tasteless world okay and that makes sense that makes sense. But there's also an, another effect that salt has that is probably more important to these people than it is to us today. I imagine when these first disciples heard Jesus say, you are the salt of the earth, it wasn't so much seasoning that, that registered first in their mind, it was preserving that registered in their mind. Because salt was used to preserve their meat, to preserve their, their pork. Not their pork, because they're Jews. Preserve their beef. Let me restate that before I get in all kind of trouble. But it was used as a, a preserving tool to prolong their meat from spoiling and from, from going bad. Okay? And it was said that, that soldiers were oftentimes paid in salt. Okay? Uh, because you know, they had all this meat and they wanted it to, to stay fresh. And so... 
you know, they needed the salt. And so a lot of times they were paid in salt so that they could keep their meat fresh and they could keep their family fed. And it's, it's said that that's where the, the saying, someone who is worth their salt, comes from. That a good soldier might be worth his salt. He's worth the salt that we, we, we pay for him. You see, and I think that's, that hits a little closer to what I think Jesus is trying to say. That when he says, you are the, the salt of the earth, that he is saying that the world is dying. The world is decaying because of sin, because of choices, because of evil that is running rampant in the world that we agree is still happening. And you, as the followers of Christ, you are to be the preserving influence in a dying and a decaying world. And I think that's what it, it, it hits closest to what Jesus is trying to say. That we, as the salt of the earth, are to be that, that preserving force in the world. Okay? Because there is darkness, there is decay, there is, is rot that is taking place all around us. He also says that we're the light of the world. And light, as the light of the world, we must shine into the darkness of our culture. There is a lot of darkness out there, is there not? I mean, you, just, you, you spend 10 minutes flipping channels. Or 10 minutes scrolling the internet. And you come in contact with darkness in some way or, or shape or form. Okay? And our job as followers of Christ is not to wall ourselves off, but our job as the light of the world is to shine light into those dark places. Okay, and so I think we can see very clearly that, that Jesus' message isn't, hey, just separate yourselves, form a commune, and be great. Hold up till I get back. You know, hold the fort. Jesus isn't saying that. Okay? He's talked about being pure in heart. He's talked about mercy. He showed us how to, 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 to be peacemakers. And he's saying now as you deal with this, this, this tasteless, decaying world, as you deal with this world of darkness, you are a couple of things. You're this preserving influence in the world that helps to sustain things. To keep things fresh. And you are the light that shines into, into the darkness. See, but here's the thing. Here is the, here is the thing. If we are the salt of the earth, and we're the light of the world, we must come in contact with the world. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't say you are the salt of other followers. You are the light of the Christians. He never said either one of those things. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the, the light of the world. See, and, and, and here's another thing, and, and, and this is a struggle for us. Because right here, Jesus is not challenging us. He's not challenging us to try harder to be the salt of the earth. And He's not challenging us to try to become the light of the world. What's the, what's the bold capital words up there? You are the light of the world. Okay, So if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, 
It's not that you have to try to become the salt of the earth. It's not that you have to try to become the light of the world. You already are those things. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now then, that puts a little more pressure on us. All right, What did Jesus follow that up with, that salt statement? But if, a, if the salt loses its saltiness, have you ever tasted salt that lost its saltiness? No. There's no chemical reaction that takes place that causes salt to, to lose its saltiness. Tim will correct me if I'm wrong on that. But what it means is that it comes in contact with something that contaminates it. That's what causes it to lose its effect. It becomes contaminated. Okay, so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you have a purpose. But in that purpose, and in that interaction with the world, you cannot allow yourself to become contaminated. Otherwise, it's of, of no use. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to talk about some of those ways in, in just a minute. The challenge is, is not to try harder to be salt and light. We are those things. The challenge is to believe and accept and live out this new reality. And see, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, as, as, as I said earlier. Salt does absolutely no good right here. Right? For salt to achieve its purpose got to come out of the shaker right for salt to be what salt is supposed to be it has to come in contact with an object okay for light to work it's got to be shown okay this is yours so I'll shine it at you Okay? To light it up and then cover it up, you know, what purpose does that serve? If we're the light of the world, then we have to shine it. Okay? The salt and the light have to come in contact with, with, with things. Now then, um, it's not easy. Now, because I say these things, that doesn't make it doesn't make it easy at, at all. It's, it's not easy. It's it's very, very difficult thing to do. But now then, and there is a good bit of pressure on us. And so, what we have to do, and and I think what Jesus is talking about here, I think he's he's ultimately he's talking about influence. Okay, and if we are going to to reclaim our place in culture and come out of the subculture we have created, that means we must gain influence in the world, right? Okay, not only does it mean we gain influence, it means we have to use our influence. We have to use it in a, in a certain way. Uh, Andy Stanley has, has written a book. Um, well, let me give you this quote first, then I'll move on to that. This is uh, by a guy named Bob Briner. He wrote a book uh, years ago called Roaring Lambs, and it's really, it's, it's really great. He says, The number one way for Christians to be 
the salt that Christ commands them to be is to teach His relevance, demonstrate His relevance, live His relevance in every area of life. That is so important. If we are going to gain any influence in this world, we have to show why we should be there. Okay, If we want people to listen to us as followers of Christ, we have to give them a reason to listen to us. If we want people to take us seriously, we have to show them something to take seriously. Okay, So what that means, and this gets back to the pressure I talked about a few minutes ago, that means that this is not a game. This means this isn't playing church where during the week, you and I, we live however we want to, we say whatever we want to, we treat each other bad, and then we come in here and it's holy, holy, you know, that cannot happen. That is not taken seriously. That's why people don't want to listen to us. That's why we've lost our influence. That and because we're not the people of love, we become the people of hate. So there is a pressure on us to be salt and light. There is a pressure that is built into that because we have to live a certain way. Okay, That's what the, the, the Beatitudes were preparing us for. Those things weren't easy. So he says we have to be relevant. On your job, you must be relevant in order to succeed in your career, right? How much more important is it for us to be relevant relevant in our faith in Jesus Christ if we want people to listen to us. If we're talking about the good old days, and oh, well, back in the day it was really great. That's not relevant. Talk about what Jesus is doing for you right now in your life. Talk about a struggle that He has helped you overcome, and you'll hear people who are going through the same struggle, and you'll be able to say, you know what, I was there, and this is what Jesus did for me, and you become relevant. You're able to speak into you're able to speak light into a dark place. There. He goes on, and he says, we cannot accomplish this by talking only to ourselves. By staying just us, us and nobody else. Okay? We can't accomplish this by talking only to ourselves and working only in safe careers. Being salt is not nearly so much about having more pastors and missionaries as it is about having many more committed Christian lay people thinking strategically about and acting on ways to build the kingdom. Okay? That means that your job is to think outside the box. Think about ways we can connect people with Jesus. Okay? We must think strategically about reaching people, about reaching teenagers, about reaching uh, the, the different demographics that are in our community. Okay? Not only do we think about them, we have to act upon them. And he goes on, he says this, in such areas as public policy, advertising, media, higher education, entertainment, the arts, and sports. Who says, who says that all Christians have to be just church Christians? Okay? I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you know, and, and Jeff and I were talking about this earlier. My favorite band and, and his favorite band is, is Thousand Foot Crutch. And what I love about them is they're not so much a Christian band as they are a band who happens to be Christians. And they play 
in places that a Christian band might not be able to play, like a bar. But they go into that place and they play messages that talk about God and talk about Jesus and talk about love and talk about life. And they have that influence. Okay, They're not walling themselves off. Now then, again, I'm not trying to knock Christian music. But I'm saying, what speaks more to me? Not so much a, a, a Christian musician, but a musician who is a Christian. Okay? You don't have to be a, a, a Christian teacher. Be a teacher who is a Christian. Okay? Because we got a lot of educators in this church. We have a lot of educators. Okay? And you hold a tremendous sway of influence. Okay? I, I mean, it would be interesting for us to just do a survey and count the number of lives that, that you influence just on one day. Never mind the span of your careers. Okay? We must be Christians in culture. Not Christians in a subculture. Okay? So now then, back to the, the book I was talking about a second ago. Uh, Andy Stanley wrote this book called Max Q. And it's got some really good things. And it's about how to... There, there's some standards, some principles that we must have in place if we're going to gain and, and use influence in our culture. Uh, salt and light influence. And it's this. It's number one, first and foremost, we have to set high standards for ourselves. Okay? We have to look at Scripture and see what Christ calls us to do, and that has to be our standard. Not what I think is the standard, not what you think is the standard. What does Jesus set as the standard? Okay? Let Jesus set those standards for us. The second thing is we have to put our own spiritual health first. Okay? You fly on an airplane. Okay? The instructions come on. The flight attendant comes out. They talk about in case of cabin depressurization. What do they tell you? The air mask is going to drop. What do they tell you? Put your own mask on first before you help your children. Because if you put theirs on first and then pass out, you can't help anybody else. Okay? If you've got three or four children on a plane and the cabin pressure drops and you're helping one, you're trying to help them first, and you get one's mask on, then you pass out, you can't help the other two. Okay, this is the same thing. When it comes to trying to gain and, and use influence in the world, we have to make sure that we are tending to our own spiritual needs before we tend to the spiritual needs of somebody else. Seems like Jesus said something about that, about a log and a plank. That sort of works right there, doesn't it? We have to tend to our own spiritual needs first and foremost. We must be accountable. To somebody okay if we're going to engage in a, in a world that is dying and decaying and dark we're going to be encountering things that are not great okay and so we need to, somebody to ask us hey how is this going how are you doing as you're dealing with that person making sure we are not becoming influenced by whatever it is that the surrounding culture is influenced them in okay so we have to make sure we're accountable to somebody this is a big one. We have to out-love the world because there's a lot of hate out there. Okay, And as the followers of Christ, the people who are supposed to be known as the people who love, we have to... We should be cornering the market on this. 
but I'm afraid we've cornered the market on hatred and bigotry. Now then, you don't have to agree with what's going on out there, but you have to love everybody. I have to love everybody. Man, there should be amens all over the room for that. Come on. We have to love. We don't condone behavior. We don't have to agree with everything that is out there, but we have to love. There's no choice in that. We must love. God is love. The greatest commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your as on these two commands, all the law and the prophets hang. Everything hangs on those two commands. Love. We must outlove the world. Oh, this one's so big. We have to be consistent in what we say. We have to make sure there's a consistency between what we say and what we do. In other words, we have to practice what we preach. That's why it is so difficult. That's where the pressure comes from. Your salt, your light, okay. All right, if I'm a follower of Christ, then I am those things. I am the salt. I am the light. And this is where the rubber meets the road. I have to make sure that what I am saying, let me back that up. I have to make sure what I am doing matches what I am saying. If what I'm saying is coming from God. Okay? What's that, uh, what's that, that saying? The, the greatest single cause of atheism is Christians who proclaim Jesus with their lips and go out and deny Him with their lifestyle. Think about that. The single greatest cause of atheism is Christians who don't act like Christians. And this has to, I mean, this has got to begin with small little things. If we're going to gain influence, if we want the world, the culture around us to listen to us, this one is so important. It is so important. Because I know too many people who say one thing and do another. Okay? It's the, you know, the weekend warriors or whatever you want to call them. And, you know, you, you spend 20 minutes on Facebook and you see it. Or at least I do. I know, I, I'm, I have lots of friends on there that, that claim to be followers of Christ, and I read some of their posts, and I think, what? What they say and what they post don't match sometimes. What they say and what they do don't match up sometimes. It's almost as if, I mean, and let me, let me say this, and this is going to be harsh, but i got to say this. If you live that way, please stop telling people you're a Christian. Please stop. 
because you're not helping anybody. If you're going to claim to follow Jesus and you're going to live not like Jesus, please don't tell anybody that you're a Christian. But if you're going to tell people that you're a Christian, live like it. Show it. You are salt. You are light. So that's what we've, that's the, the mentality we've got to, to, to grasp. We have to be consistent in what we say and what we do. Those things have to match up. And then lastly, once we, we get all these things down and we begin to gain influence, okay? You and I know, I mean, I know that you as followers of Christ, you have influence over people. And you know that you've had people come to you and they've asked you how you've gotten through something. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you've, they, they, you've had a struggle, you've trusted in God, and, and you've come through it. And then all of a sudden, people want to hear from you. Or they know you're a Christian. Okay? Because what you say and what you do does match up. It is consistent. And so they may not go to church, but they may turn to you and say, hey, look, would you, would you, would you pray for me? Or they might ask your input on some, some spiritual matter. Okay? And you see, when they do that, when they ask you about where you go to church, when they ask you about what you believe about Jesus, they are then inviting you. And they are inviting me to speak influence into their lives now then once we gain that influence and this one is so important because a lot has been done in the name of jesus very badly right here once we gain that influence we must use it wisely not in a in a way that manipulates people not in a way that brings them sort of under our subjection but in a way that draws them closer to Jesus. That's the only way we must use Jesus. Okay? Our job is to connect people to Jesus. Andrew, one of the, one of the disciples that we don't read a whole lot about, he didn't say a whole lot, but you know what one of his main jobs was? He connected people to Jesus. The boy that had the, the sack lunch on the day the 5,000 were fed, you know who found them? Andrew connected people to Jesus. You know who brought Peter, the big mouth, the mouthpiece of the apostles? You know who brought him to Jesus? It was Andrew. We have to be those people. We must connect people to, to Jesus. So now then, what do we do about it? And, and here's the thing. Anybody can do this. Singles, young families, parents, students, empty nesters. Whatever your station is in life, use your place in culture to influence and reach out. Use your talents, whatever they might be. It might be writing, it might be speaking, it might be, you know, you might be a, a great encourager, it might be a service, whatever it is. Use your talents and abilities to gain influence and use it in a godly way in people's lives. Use it as salt. Use it as, use it as light. So here's our, here's our growth point of the morning. It's this right here. To be effective as salt and light. Now then, remember, this isn't us becoming salt and light. If we're followers of Jesus, we already are those things. You are the salt. You are the light. So to be effective as salt and light, 
We must come in contact with people in our surrounding culture. Remember, the salt that stays in the shaker does not achieve its purpose. Okay? It has to come in contact with the world. Okay? So that, that's the challenge to us. Okay? And this is a challenging message, is it not? You realize there's some, it's tough. I mean, salt and light, you know, it sounds easy. Oh, it's great. We just love everybody and reach out. There's more to it than that. Okay? There's more to it than that. We have to live at a, a certain standard. Now, if you're not living that way, two things. One, if you're going to continue living that way, do what I said a minute ago. Quit, calling, quit telling people you're a Christian. You don't have to stop being one, but please stop telling people you're one. Or, change. Which is the better way to go. Just Just change. Okay? That's better. I would rather you change than have to stop telling people you're a Christian. Okay? I mean, that's what I'd rather see happen. Bring your life back to Jesus. Repent. Let Him restore you. Don't be the salt that's not worth anything. Don't be the light that's burned out or hidden under a basket. Okay? Change and repent. That's the message to us this morning. And so I hope that you will go away from here with that challenge, with that, that reminder that it's not our job to wall ourselves off and, and separate from a surrounding culture. Those things are good. And those are things we use to recharge ourselves to go back into culture. Does that make sense? I don't want to say those things are bad by any means. We've all benefited from them. But it's those things that sort of help sustain us, help recharge us to go back out there into a, a world that is in need of a preserving influence and darkness that needs light shined in it. Okay? So that's what it is. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you've not been living that way, change today. We can help you. If we can pray for you in any way whatsoever, why don't you come while we stand and sing? We